So I have a friend. Uh, you, you'd be surprised to know I have friends, but I do have a friend. Uh, who worked for a short bit at a preschool. I've done the same out of high school, my preschool job, uh, where I was teaching four-year-olds. Uh, kids are awesome, and really, instructing kids is a great joy, regardless of age, because kids are just the best, and they let you know if they have your attention or not, or you have their attention. Well, there was a young boy at this school with an affinity for certain words. Just leave it at that. Maybe words that you use in a moment of weakness or frustration. Words that you say and you go, ooh, don't repeat that. And like anyone, when this child would say that, where'd you hear that word? Well, sometimes my mom says it when she's driving. Well, as any good teacher does, when you have news to share with a parent, you want to keep it secret, when you have news to share with a parent, you go ahead and you tell that parent. So my friend tells mom, what's been going on, words that are being said, and you want to be kind about it because you know that's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to say, hey, just by the way, because everyone thinks their kids are perfect. Um, we all know they aren't. So the response given when given this news of, hey, just so you know, the words being used, oh, well, his father, right? Everyone Every person has had or will have those moments uh, where you realize that you're being watched. You're being emulated. People are doing the things that they're seeing you do, and they're talking in the ways that they're seeing you talk, and they're uh, operating and moving in the ways that you move, and you see it, and you go, ooh. You ever seen a child act like you? you go, uh, Don't do that part of me. Find the good parts and, and do those. And you go, man, do I, do I say that? Do I act like that? Even now, you think about your own life, you probably realize a lot of what you do, good and bad, is because of what you have observed, what you grew up in, the things that you have heard, the things that you have said, the examples that were given. You are formed, like it or not, Love to think that you are just some kind of isolated individual who is not formed by the influence of others, but you are. So what happens when that inevitably goes wrong? What happens when you've been misled? And, uh, what happens when you're living in a way that isn't actually aligning with what is true? Or you realize that even your uh, parenting or your grandparenting or your teaching kids in their class does not align with how you would love for kids to act. I had a Greek professor who would say it this way. Great advice. You've probably heard it before. <clears throat> do as I say, not as I do. I'm going to do it wrong. So just listen to what I say and try to do that. But we all know that's not the case. We're going to do what you do. <clears throat> because in a way, it almost gives us permission. It gives us permission to do those things. When we see mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or Hans or other elder or your uh, children's worship leaders, like when they see them do something, we go, oh, this is how it happens. Well, this is the problem that we come to in our passage in Galatians. And uh, in today's problems, you see it with Cephas or Peter. That he has a life that is now not living in step with the truth of the gospel. So this far in the book, if you haven't been with us for uh, our chapter 1 sermons, uh, Paul has focused, Paul, the author of the letter to the Galatians, with pinpoint accuracy, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that Jesus came, 
to save sinners like you and me, and that through faith in Jesus and faith alone, that's how we are saved, not through works of the law. In a couple of weeks, I'll just call it rule-keeping, uh, because we're Gentiles, and I don't think you guys are overly concerned about all of the Mosaic law. I don't think you are. Maybe you are, but my guess is you aren't. Uh, but you do like the idea of rule-keeping so that people like you. So at each part of chapter 1, we see Paul explaining why his gospel stands alone. It came from God, didn't come from man, and then 14 years after I even came to faith, I checked it out with these uh, pillars of the Jerusalem church, and they added nothing to it. Because you can't. Because it didn't come from man. It is what it is because it came from God. It's all that is needed for salvation. Faith in Jesus Christ. So in today's passage, and actually we did preach on 15 and 16, and a little after, uh, just a few months ago. So we're adding what comes before it, so you can kind of see how now it all fits within Galatians. But we're going to see the key argument that really forms the rest of what we understand in Galatians. How it actually works, and what springboards us to the coming chapters. And it's going to start by showing how even Peter... The rock of the church. Right? On this rock, I'm going to build my church, says Jesus. Even Peter got it wrong, and others were following suit. Now, this wasn't just an issue of Peter doing something wrong. We all do things that are wrong. But Peter's example was not living in keeping with what was true. We love to think that if I just have all the words right, I'm good. But having the words right should inform how then we live. And that's not what Peter was doing. So we're going to go through Galatians 2, 11 through 21. And really there's kind of three things going on here. So there's a rebuke to Peter. That's the first part we see. He gives a reason in 15, 16 uh, and following. And then there's a response. How then does Paul live? So we're going to go there. Again, turn, uh, turn your Bibles. If you have your phones, um, great. You have that. Uh, but I use my Bible on my phone sometimes, but paper Bibles, for whatever reason, are easier for me to use uh, than phone Bibles. But you do you, okay? More power to you, whatever it is. So we're going to start with the rebuke, because it's always fun to start with a rebuke. <clears throat> Good way to start in the morning. <clears throat> Live in keeping with your faith. That's what he says. 11 through 14 is what is quoted as the rebuke. I actually think it goes past that. The quotes should go past that. Uh, but Greek text doesn't have quotation marks, so you have to kind of go, Where's, when does he stop talking to Peter? I think he talks to Peter beyond verse 14, but we're going to start with that rebuke, because that part is clear. <clears throat> comes right on the heels of what, he discussed, what we discussed last week, where Peter agrees, Peter agrees with Paul's gospel, and the application of Titus, remember Titus didn't get circumcised. Because if the gospel message is true, that Christ died for us, and through faith in him we have a relationship with the Father, and that's all that you need, you don't need to add to it, and Titus doesn't need to add anything. So everyone agreed in that meeting. No, 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 no. Like you, We don't need Titus circumcised. And then here we have an argument sometime later where Paul goes, but Peter messed it up. So Paul is in Antioch. That's north of Jerusalem, north of Israel. And Peter pays a visit. When this visit is, we are not sure. But when we read the book of Acts, we know that Peter has gone and visited places where gospel activity is happening, and the Spirit is coming, and people are being saved by Jesus, and so we know that it's kind of apostolic of him to go check things out. And so it's like, yeah, I'll go check that out. Yeah, I'd love to go see what's going on over there, Paul. So they travel north, a Jewish group comes north to check out the work that is going on, 
but Peter stands condemned. Look at verses 12 and 13. For before certain men came from James, he was eating in, uh, with the Gentiles. That's Peter. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, those who are Jewish. <clears throat> and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So, just to paint the picture, this Jewish group comes in. <clears throat> Peter was enjoying his freedom with Christ with the Gentiles. Church in Antioch has all kinds of believers in it from all kinds of walks of life. It's a diverse church with diverse religious backgrounds, diverse racial backgrounds, diverse societal backgrounds. And so everyone's there. <clears throat> and as this group of Jewish folk come to Antioch, Peter, who's been enjoying his freedom, and Peter, remember when uh, the Lord in uh, the book of Acts, chapter 10, like brings this sheet down, Peter has this line where he's like, I've never ever done eaten anything unclean. And the Lord is reminding him, no, that's not how this works anymore. It's not food laws. Food laws don't save you. So Peter's enjoying that he can eat a ham sandwich. And he's there with the Gentiles eating food because he's now free. And then another group, the Jewish background, show up. And what does Peter do? Well, he puts it behind his back and goes and spends time with them. Just like anybody does when they're embarrassed that they're acting in a certain way. So Peter reverted, and he started to go back to the law-keeping. He'd go back to rule-following, because he didn't want to kind of have that kind of tension with those who are around him. So what happens now? Well, the same thing that happens when you are trying to be like your dad or by your, like your mom. Other people start to follow suit. Now others see Peter acting in a certain way, and so what do they do? But they too go, oh, that must be what you do. And you say like to this, and this would be appropriate, not every Christian gets along with other Christians. That makes sense. So we're not all get along, so we're not all going to be just be buddy-buddy with everything. But what Paul is saying to Peter here is that his behavior is not in keeping with the gospel message. Not in keeping with it. So he's frustrated with him. He feared, if you look at that line, Fearing the circumcision party. Well, you can live by faith or you can live by fear, but you can't live by both. Right? So fear is rooted differently than faith is rooted. Faith is rooted in the character of God as he has been revealed to us through Jesus, understanding that being empowered by the Spirit. You can't live by fear of man and live in right relationship with God because the only one that we should fear is God. The only one that we should have that kind of reverence for is God. So Peter wasn't living in step with the gospel message. He was leading other people to do the same. His words might have said, his words getting right, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. But his behavior was saying, and behavior helps. And behavior helps. So Jesus saves, yeah, but behavior is really where it's at. So other people would see this. And you might think, as Paul goes, I, essentially I rebuked him to his face. That seems rather intense. Usually, follow Matthew 18, because what we always go to, you go to somebody in private and you say, hey, you know, you shouldn't have done that, but the message of God's salvation was on the line. And it had already been seen, other people were already seeing Peter reverting back to rule following to gain God's favor. 
And so as they reverted back and other people started to do the same thing, it makes perfect sense for Paul then to say to Peter, oh, just so everybody hears it, that's not how this works. Faith alone in Christ's work saves. That's what does it. Because the issue is significant. There are certainly times when you want to go to a brother or sister in private and say, hey, just so you know, uh, this didn't work right, or you, you guys do this to me all the time. So, I'm kidding. There are times for that. But when other people are being led astray by a pillar of the church, it makes sense for Paul's rebuke to be able to be heard by all who were acting in the same way. And he has the authority of the Lord behind him. But not only that, think about it, he has the authority of the apostles who agreed that that is the message. It is Peter who has deviated, not the message. And so this is yet another proof for Paul as he talks to the Galatians about why his message matters. Came from God, not from man. I did not appeal to man to make it make sense. When the apostles heard it, they agreed. And not only that, I had no problem rebuking an apostle when he was not living in keeping with these truths. I had no problem with it. So when you Judaizers come in and you're telling the Galatian church they need to live in a certain way, just know I have no problem even confronting Peter. I will do it. But even these first few verses, 11 through 14, provide us a couple of warnings. More than three, but I'll give you three. There's a warning to leaders here. And you can go, what do you mean by leader? Is it elders? Is it deacons? Is it small group leaders? Is it, is it you know, just the oh, yeah, leadership is influenced? <clears throat> I'm not even going to go there. Church leaders, fathers, mothers, community group leaders, any in authority in some capacity, any whose example is to be emulated, need to be warned that their behavior should have roots in the truths of the gospel. Not just what they say. I would guess many people in this room can pass a test to go, what's the gospel message? And you go, oh yeah, well, you know, Jesus plus nothing, right? Or you know, however it might work. That the, Jesus came to save sinners, of which I am the worst. If you want to use Paul's language, if you want to just cite 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you want to cite that and go, this is it, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he uh, was buried according to the scriptures, that he was raised on the third day. Like you could, you could do that. You could go back to Isaiah 53 and say, and how this kind of uh, prophesied what was going to come in the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus. But we need to recognize <clears throat> that those who have influence in the life of the church can reinforce the truths that exist within the scriptures or they can grate against the truths. And that's a scary place to be because I would say if even Peter, then so us. If a guy like Peter, who is sitting there with Jesus, getting to hear Jesus teach day after day, who was so sure that he would never ever forsake Jesus, who was so sure that he had it all together, I will never leave you, Lord. Who then is reinstated by Jesus in Jesus' resurrection. Goes, hey, feed my sheep. Who even after that moment, has this moment, where he says, I don't want to make this confusing for anybody, and he just made it worse. So for those who will misstep, 
even living in keeping with the truth of the gospel means ask forgiveness and keep going. Keep moving. It doesn't mean that you will have perfect behavior because what we could go is, oh man, I better get it just right or else. It's like, no, that doesn't understand what Jesus does. What Jesus has done for us is to recognize, I won't get it right. I'm not going to get it right. I'm not going to do this thing perfectly. So I have to keep coming back to the Lord with confession and repentance and forgiveness asking. And he's going to be glad and joyful to give it so I can always be walking in the right relationship with God. Also a warning to all of us who uh, have faith in the Lord Jesus that checking off a doctrinal statement is good, but it doesn't mean that you are somehow now ready. And what I mean by ready is like, I can, if you, we love to kind of dot our I's and cross our T's and be able to get it all right. But remember, use these words, orthodoxy or orthopraxy, or how, what you believe and how you live, that these two things need to be lined up. And it gets really confusing, confusing when these things aren't lined up, when you act in a way that isn't in keeping with what you know to be true. And again, it doesn't mean that you won't fail. You will fail. We even have a way to handle our failure, which is Jesus. So all who think that, man, I can affirm the doctrinal statement, I'm crushing it. I tell you, people who can check off doctrinal statements can be some of the jerkiest people in the world. I, I, don't, even, I don't even get it. You know, how, how, how can we be so sure of one thing, and yet we don't understand how that translates? I mean, imagine just telling your spouse, I love you, just believe me because I said it. And there's no demonstration of love. There's, there's no actual evidence that that exists. And you go, well, how do I know? Because I said it. Don't you remember when we were standing there on our wedding day and I gave these vows and I said, till death is part, I'm still here, ain't I? Like, that's again, what you say and what you do need to line up. They need to line up. But this is also an encouragement. Don't want to just leave you heavy. This is an encouragement, and the encouragement is this, that no man or woman or leader is above the gospel. That Peter is not above a rebuke. Hans is not above a rebuke. Rock is not above a rebuke. When we misstep, there are ways to bring the truth to bear in those situations. So it's actually encouragement as well. As well as might go, man, I have to be careful. There's a way to handle this. Peter didn't go live in exile for the rest of his ministry. No, 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 no. History and tradition tell us that he was crucified upside down because he didn't even view being crucified in the same way as the Lord as worthy of him. And so when we see these things, we need to recognize that no one is above correction. We don't become experts in the gospel in that sense. It's an expert on us and the human heart on the character of God. So we're not above it, and this is good news for us. <clears throat> Knowing that we're not above it, Jesus came down to show us the Father. We don't have to go ascend to it, because we never will. Rule following, law keeping, tries to ascend to God, but it doesn't work. God descends to man to reveal himself to us. So we have the rebuke, live in keeping with your faith, but... We keep it going with the reason is that only Jesus saved. When you confuse people with rule following, when you confuse people with law keeping, you mess it all up. <clears throat> so he's going to give this reasoning. And he does it by explaining the message. The message never changes. Peter did. 
Paul's going to say, only Jesus saves. Now we recently, again, a few months ago, did a sermon on this portion, verses 15 and 16. We're going to see it again. We ourselves, now imagine he's still talking to Peter, because I think that's what's going on here. Not just, it's not just a, a summation that Paul's giving. I think he's still talking to Peter. We ourselves, you and me, Petey, we are Jews by birth. We're not Gentile sinners, because Gentiles were viewed as kind of grosser. We're not these terrible sinners, but sinners in quotes. Some of your translations actually might have the word sinners in quotes if you read it. Um, to kind of, we're, not, we're not sinners like these crazy Gentiles. Yet we know, remember we had the conversation about it, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Justified being being made right with God. We know that a person is not made right with God by what they do, but by what God has done through Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus. We, you and me, Pete, we knowing this, have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Why? Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Now when we get into chapter 3, we're going to get all kinds of talking about how the law works, how Jesus works, how these things fit together, and you're going to go, because... Paul's talking like with his heritage and his background, and we're sitting here in Spring, Texas going, I don't get it. I don't get it. And so as we get into it, he's going to talk more about how these, wor these worlds fit together, what the law did, how the law failed, how we don't need to go to it for our salvation, even though we still might be tempted to. Now let's keep this, verses 15 and 16, in the context of the rebuke, that this conversation is continuing. What's he saying? He's saying that even though Paul and Peter are Jews by birth, which is a pretty nice status, have the Messiah, you have the promises, you have prophecy, you have, you have it all, they are not Gentile sinners who are outside the law. He's saying even though we are these people, we still need Jesus. Paul and Peter would agree to this point. They have agreed to this point. And yet in this moment, in Galatians chapter 2, they are disagreeing. They had a leg up, in a sense. I say leg up because they should know, should be aware, they should be looking for the Messiah, but they're looking for it in a different, in a flawed way. So Paul says, we have all of this, but we're not justified, we're not made right, we're not made in the correct relationship with God by the works of the law by what it demands of us. The reason for that is because you can't do it all. You can't do it. Go ahead and try. Good luck. People write books on trying to follow all the laws, make jokes about it, and lots of money, which just seems odd. But you can't fulfill it all. So God can alone justify. And in a sense here, it's him having the authority to change our status. To change our status. And so you might hear a phrase like this, God declaring us righteous, or I would say declaring something true about us. God can declare what is true about us. We fail at those attempts. So through Jesus... 
God says about us and our faith in Jesus that we are not guilty. We are not guilty. We do not stand in rebellion against Him. But the opposite would also be true. Without faith in Jesus, we stand condemned. That would apply to Paul and to Peter who would try to live, if they were trying to live out life obeying the law for God's favor. And it would also stand true for you and for me who would try to find God and favor with God in any other way but just surrendering and putting our trust in the work of Jesus Christ and His sacrifice for us. That's why this passage and those like it, we can't simply say things like this. All roads point to God. We'd like to think that. I have thought that at one point in time in my life because it's kind of a nice thing and it feels good to say. And if this is something that maybe you hold on to, that it, well, anybody, really, it's all the same God and all the different faiths and all the world just kind of reveal the same God in different ways. It's hard to believe that when you read Galatians chapter 2, especially in these verses, because think about it. Paul is saying to Peter, you can't do that and find a right relationship with God. He is saying, you can't live like this in keeping the law, in keeping rules, and other people that you are now leading astray, if they were to believe that is how they are saved, they won't find Jesus. So the biblical worldview kind of rejects this uh, inclusivism view or this pluralistic view that anybody can get in so long as they're faithful to whatever religion that they are a part of. If anybody could have maybe had said that, it would have been Peter, the good Jewish guy. And yet Paul says, Peter, you can't do that, man. You can't do that. And people who are following you can't do that and find salvation in God. Paul knows better. He knows better. And Peter knows better. But he was living in fear. So I want to talk to just a few of you in this room, and I don't know who you are. Um, in this regard. You just, if this fits one of your categories, great. If not, still listen. But perhaps today you are tempted to root, to find the value of your status with God based upon things like your family history. People love to drop their family history on people. Oh, well, my dad was a pastor and their dad was a pastor and I just come from a long line of pastors, so of course I believe. I'm like, that's not how that works. Maybe you think about rooting your status with God in your actions. I'm nice. People like me. I get promoted at my job. It, who wouldn't want to be my friend? God certainly would want to be my friend. Like He does, but he had to pay the, pay, pay the price to even create that relationship. You don't do it. Maybe it's your proximity to religious people, like being Facebook friends with Matt Brantner. Or your knowledge because you have lots of books written by pastors that you like to read and quote and put on Instagram so that we can all see how holy you are. Maybe it's one of those things. But the flip side might be true. You might be trying to find your identity in your uh, religious heritage or your family or your books or your words or your habits or your smile or whatever it might be. Opposite could be true too. Maybe this isn't you. Maybe you're none of those people. 
Maybe you feel like when you walk into the church, it is three degrees from burning down. Because you're in it now. And you're surprised you haven't burst into flames just by showing up. You feel like you've never really been a part of the family. You feel like you can't fit in because all of these other people seem to be able to talk a certain way and dress a certain way and cite certain pastors and use cool quotes. I'm even going to use a cool quote a little later, I think, so get ready. So you weren't raised in this environment, so anytime you show up, you feel like a total outsider. You go, this is just so weird. I don't even know why I am here. The people here are crazy, and they all seem to like, know what's up, except for me, I'm, I'm clueless. The crazy thing, and beautiful at the same time, is that the solution to both people is the same. Trust Jesus. Trust Jesus for your salvation. Trust His person and work for your identity. Don't find it in your church family. Don't find it in the work that you do. Don't find it in the habits that you have. Don't find it in anything else but what Jesus has done for you so that you can be in a relationship with God the Father. Indwelled by the Spirit. Have that. That's what brings you in. That's how you become in, an insider. And we have to spend all sorts of time always breaking down all kinds of uh, habits and things that we build into this environment that make people feel like outsiders. But the way to access God the Father is through the work of Jesus Christ. A recognition that we cannot do it. That only Jesus' work is what saves. 1 For some, our past is a stumbling block of pride. We're so glad that we have it. Pray for my children. I don't know which one theirs will be. It's probably the second. For others, it is a stumbling block of shame. Where we just go, God could never. God could never love me. God could never forgive me. You do not know what I have done and how I have lived. It's not true. It's not true. God knows what you've done better than you do. He's more aware of your own sinfulness than you are, than I ever would be. He's more aware of my own sinfulness than I am. And I wear that thing, like a scarlet letter, a lot. And he still says, I love you. And I still get to have a relationship with him through God the Son, Jesus Christ why these things matter. This is why now you can see why Paul is taking Peter's confusing behavior so seriously. Because when you misunderstand the truths of the gospel, then you don't live in keeping with it. When you don't live in keeping with it, other people see it and they don't understand the truths of the gospel. So we see in our passage, that first part, a rebuke. We see a reason why the rebuke's even there. Only Jesus saves Pete. You cannot go through other ways. You cannot you know, follow the law over here and not follow over there, confuse these people, confuse these people. Everybody, even Barnabas, who was on Paul's missionary journeys with him, goes on these journeys. Even Barnabas is getting confused by Peter's, uh, by Peter's behavior. You ever seen somebody do something and you go, it makes you rethink what you might believe about it? Maybe you see a prominent pastor or a writer or somebody that you like, they do something way over here, they change their view on something, and you go, oh, well, maybe I should change mine too. 
Because that's the influence that people have and leaders have and authors have and pastors have where if they start to shift, we go, well, maybe, maybe they're right. Paul's going, nope. And so there's a faith response. Rebuke, reason, response. Sometimes they line up as ours and it's beautiful. By faith, show Christ's life in you. In 17 through 21. He reinforces this idea with the end. Listen to what he says, verse 17. But if, in our endeavor to be justified, made right in Christ, we too are found to be sinners, think like the Gentiles, those crazy sinners, we have to actually recognize that we're sinful to do this, is Christ then a servant of sin? Does that make Christ somehow sinful? Because we have to be identified as sinful. No! Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, being the works of the law, right living to get God's favor, then I just prove myself to be a transgressor. Then I actually do the thing I don't want to do. Which is expose myself for not believing rightly. For through the law I have died to the law so that I might live to God. Confusing phrase, well, that's where I get to use quotes of other people. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify, remove the grace of God. For if righteousness, right standing, being right with God, came through the law, through rule keeping, then Christ would have died for no purpose. Alright, so this is a reinforcement of what Paul just said. And we'll go through it really briefly. Verse 17. If Paul and Peter, good Jewish men, with a good pedigree, good law following, if they want to be justified in Christ, if they want to be made right with God, appropriately, then they must recognize that they too are sinful even if they try to follow the law. They actually have to change how they view themselves. You might view yourself as, oh, look how I grew up. Look at my heritage. Look at this. Look at that. I did it all. He's going, if we actually want to be seen right with God, we have to leave all that aside and be found as sinful men or women. We can't count on these things that are in our past to have God go, oh, no, we're cool now. Oh, I didn't know you went to Genesis. That's fine, then. It counts. We can't count on our church history or our family history or whatever else it might be to save us. It's only the work of Jesus that does that. However, doing that, and think about it, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. He came from uh, the line all the way back to Abraham, right? And the Davidic king that we see. Does that mean then that all of these Jewish men and women having to recognize this somehow make Jesus tainted by that? Does he then somehow impacted by what they're saying? No. Not at all. It doesn't change who Jesus is. It doesn't change what Jesus did. It doesn't change how he saves. It doesn't change anything about it. Why? Look at verse 18. A religious way of life doesn't actually work. It's like going back. It's a terrible transgression. You don't go backwards to get to Jesus. Jesus comes toward you. You trust him. But you can't go backwards in how you think to get there. So then in verse 19, he uses this weird phrase, through the law I died to the law. Huh? Through the law I died to the law. Yeah. 
We'll just skip over that. Just kidding. How do you die to something through something? Well, through Hans, I died to Hans. It's a confusing phrase. Peter knows full well, if you read 2 Peter, he likes to throw Paul under the bus a little bit for talking in a confusing manner. As we all know, Paul's confusing. He has long sentences. He wasn't a fisherman. He was he's one of those educated hoity-toity guys. Let me tell you what it's like. With you know, worm guts on my hooks and on the paper or whatever else. It's a confusing phrase. It's odd to hear how it might work, and people are still going, I'm not, I, how does it mean through the law, out of the law? So if at first you're unsure, you quote people who seem more sure. This is where I get to uh, just call to court Tom Schreiner, who's a brilliant pastor and New Testament scholar. And he says this, To put it another way, since Jesus lived under the law, he obeyed the law fully, he could free those who lived under the dominion of sin and law. When we get into Galatians 3, you'll see the law happened for a season, but now it's gone and we have Jesus. And even then, we needed faith. The reign of the law ended, therefore, through the law, through Christ's obedience to the law. Jesus, in his death, took the full penalty of the law upon himself, even though, as the sinless one, he did not deserve its curse. By dying under the law and obeying the law, he then ended the era of the law. And those who have died with Christ share in his victory over the law. So you could say it this way. Because of Christ's obedience to the law, I have died to that. It's gone. I have Jesus now. And that's all I need. Through the work of Jesus, we are freed from the power of sin and law. And so then, that helps verses 20 and 21 make sense. I've been crucified with Christ because of what Christ has done. It's not I who live, it's Christ now who lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. He loved me, gave himself for me. I don't nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. All who are in Christ have been crucified with him. Their former life, their former way is gone, and now it is Christ who is alive in them. Paul develops this in different ways, also in Romans 6, which is a really cool argument about our identity with Christ and what has happened now, and we are raised with him. We died in Christ. The old life that was enslaved to sin is gone. We are new, and we are new because of Jesus. So what does this mean for us as believers? to recognize that our former life is dead because of Christ's work. Uh, a few things. We don't get people, people in our church, wherever it is, to pay for their sin twice. We love to be arbiters of people's sinfulness, tell them how bad they are. Jesus paid for their sin. So let Jesus be that person for them. We have no reason to say to people, don't forget how terrible you were, just remember that you're a bad person. It doesn't work. It actually speaks to something that Jesus has changed. Jesus paid for our sin. The debt we owed was paid by God, and there is no need or ability to repay it. Second, and I hope accordingly, we want to emphasize grace. Grace. At Genesis, you will see us, me, others, mess up. You'll see us fail, and you will see us sin. And while there are ways we need to handle habitual, 
unrepentant sin, which is always where our minds go, our disposition towards one another should be one of grace and kindness, believing the best in those who are a part of this church family and seeking to always restore them to a right relationship, a loving relationship with others and letting them walk in the identity of a restored, renewed relationship with God. And then third, we need to operate knowing that we do not keep rules to go back to rules to gain God's favor, which will be a regular temptation in your life. To do things to get God to like you more. To do things to make you feel like God likes you more. Or to not do certain things and then feel like God likes you less. That's a constant thing that is pulling on our hearts. So you have to stay close to one another uh, so that you will have people in your moment of weakness say to you, that's not true. You're not thinking right. It's not what God has done. When you live on an island in your faith, you often uh, reap the detriments of that island, which is the only thing you really have to correct yourself is your brain, and your brain's screwy. You're not going to think right. So you need to go with others who are going to help you and point you back to the Lord. If you don't have those uh, people now, I encourage you to join a group. Join a community group. Find people in your life who just love you, want to get to know you, and want to help you walk with the Lord. People who will tell you that to us, you have nothing to prove. You don't need to prove yourself. The Lord has done what the Lord has done. You have nothing to prove to the world. You have nothing to prove to yourself. You have nothing to prove to us because through faith in Jesus, you can be His. And that's what matters. So belief and behavior, they are two sides of the same coin. For us, that coin is Jesus. Sent from the Father for our sins. And when we know what He has done, how He has done it, we should live in accordance with it. But we're always going to be growing in that knowledge. Always. We're always going to be learning ways and applying the Scriptures to live in keeping with what we know to be true. It's good to be corrected for our missteps. Paul rebuking Peter was gracious because you don't want to be misleading people. You don't want to be living in a way that harms people's understanding of God. It was gracious to be corrected and be reminded of living in keeping with what is true. Because we want to show others the goodness of Jesus both in what we say and how we live. Because he's deserving of that.